0: what's up fellas uh this episode of the podcast is brought to you by sky coach sky coach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else they've got 24 7 support a flexible network that works in any stadium and in any size crowd and it's the most reliable innovative software available again i get to use this i get a butt shot our oc gets a wide shot we get it immediately after the play during games um, and you can use it at practice as well it's great to be able to teach uh, teach your kids on the run and practice. Be able to show them what a defense is doing to you or an offense is doing to you uh, during a game. Uh, to be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. SkyCoach is the market leader in sideline replay. Uh, go go check out SkyCoach at mySkyCoach.com to learn even more. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is an industry leader in coaching communication, offering cutting edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Uh, You guys have probably seen them, all you Texas coaches that were at the Texas Coaches Clinic, and I believe they're also at the Nebraska Coaches Clinic as well. Uh, A lot of great dudes uh, out there and want to help you get the things that you need for a reasonable price. Uh, From NFL level coaching communications to cutting edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Uh, Throughout the expansion of the product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication, again, at price points that every program um, can afford. Family owned and operated with a customer first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com, uh, by email at info@sidelinepower.com or just give them a call at 800-496-4290. This episode is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Uh, whether you write your own programs or have a full-time strength coach, or even if you need training programs, uh, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room, which is uh, huge, obviously, in the offseason. Uh, but the season's coming up, too, and we just talked to a, a lot of different strength coaches on here, and and that's one of the things that really puts certain programs ahead of others is, is being able to do all of the strength program during, during season, uh, not dropping down or, or even losing it. So this is very valuable, obviously, as we go into the season. Uh, To go learn more, you can visit their website uh, at teambuilder.com. It's teambuilder.com. And uh, they're actually giving away to our listeners a 14-day free trial. So again, go to teambuilder.com and and go let them hook you up with that 14-day free trial. It's an awesome product. And then last but never, never least, uh, this episode is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced in the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Uh, go check them out by visiting Team Attack Academy at teamattackacademy.com. That's going to do it for the Reeds. Uh, Really excited for this episode. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Lauren Inslee. Coach Inslee is the offensive coordinator at Dakota Wesleyan University, where he also coaches the offensive line, Uh, and he does it as as a very young coach for an offensive coordinator at the collegiate level. Uh, Listen as we talk to him uh, about his football journey through the ranks in college football, uh, some hints and strategies for offensive line coaches becoming play callers, uh, and then the many jobs that a smaller college coach has to perform during the season. You guys can go follow Coach Inslee on Twitter at CoachInslee77. Hope you guys enjoy. Tell everyone, you know, obviously you're coaching now, uh, Wesleyan, but um, Dakota Wesleyan, but, you know, kind of how you you rose through the ranks uh, as far as even through high school when you're playing and then, um, you know, started coaching, and then and how you got to, you know, where you are now.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. I uh, played at Lake City High School in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, I was lucky enough to be on a state championship team with a lot of really good players. Um, kind of got taught the value of work, work ethic there. Had a great uh, head coach there. And Coach Troxell was in the Idaho Hall of Fame. Um, then getting recruited, uh, got recruited by a few different schools. Decided to go to Idaho State down in Pocatello. Uh, I was there for two years, and then after my uh, second year there, our whole coaching staff got fired, um, and it was just the time for a change for me, so I transferred over to an NAI school in Eastern Oregon University. Um, went over there, had a great experience, was a four-year starter there, uh, had a lot of fun, uh, won a lot of games, set a lot of records, did a lot of good things. Uh, always knew I wanted to be a coach, so when my playing time was done, Um, I headed over and started coaching um, at Lake Roosevelt High School in uh, Cooley, uh, Washington. So I started coaching there at the high school level. I had a ton of fun. Uh, I was teaching as well there. Um, Spent two years coaching there. Uh, I was a head coach there. Took a team. They won one game in three years. And uh, took a team uh, to the uh, state semifinals. So that was pretty fun. Uh, A lot of... Uh, support from the community, things like that, which was always awesome when you kind of turn around a program. Spent a lot of time with some college coaches, uh, talking to them just about what it's like to be a college coach. Got really involved in that kind of stuff. Ran into my old offensive coordinator um, from Eastern Oregon. Talked to him a lot, and he kind of suggested that route for me as well, and I kind of thought it was the right route to take at the time. Um, so I headed down to Eastern Oregon. Uh, I started off as the tight ends coach down there that lasted for about three days. And then they <laughs> made me the offensive line coach. Um, so I, I did something right. That's um, right. Yeah. So, uh, took over the offensive line and I had a blast there. Um, really good coaches down there. Uh, really good program. Well, we didn't have the year we wanted. Uh, we had a freshman quarterback. He was still learning offensive line wise though. We had a lot of success. We were really big up front, uh, had two first-team all-conference players that really uh, helped us out big time, uh, had a pretty good rushing game. I think we were top 25 in offense, uh, had had some success, you know. Um, one of the biggest things, though, leaving the high school ranks was uh, kind of making that change with uh, money was a big thing because... Uh, I wasn't getting paid very well at Eastern Oregon. I mean, I, I took a spot that I knew it was a risk. Uh, overall, I knew, I knew what I was getting in for. Um, so I kind of took a gamble on myself there. And then this last offseason, started looking at it because I, I needed to be able to live, needed to be able to support my family. Uh, saw Dakota Wesleyan was hiring. Uh, last year, they were the second-ranked offense in the nation. So pretty good job opportunity. <laughs> um applied for it thinking that to be honest I didn't have a chance at it being a 26 year old um wasn't thinking I had the chance uh, went did a phone interview felt pretty good about it then they flew me over for an in-person interview that went really well got to know the program really well kind of fell in love with the place on my uh interview was really hoping it went well and then uh they offered me the job and I've been here since January so
2: Wow, that happened
0: pretty quick.
1: Oh, uh, uh, well, yeah, it it really has. Uh, everything about this job happened really fast. Um, it's not a route that I would necessarily suggest uh, <laughs> for anyone. I, I feel pretty blessed and lucky with the opportunities that came. Um, when I was a high school coach and trying to make the decision, I knew there was a lot of different factors, and I had a wife. At uh, I still have a wife, and kind of talked it over with her. And I kind of said, if we go this college route, at any time I could get a phone call and I have to move halfway across the country. Um, and that's actually exactly what ended up happening.
2: What, is, what does she think of South Dakota?
1: So she's actually not here right now. She's uh, <laughs> at Eastern Washington right now. She's finishing up her physical therapy uh, doctorate. So when I moved to Eastern Oregon the first time, she wasn't there with me either. So, and then when I decided to move down here, we knew we were gonna have to wait a little bit for her to get down here but she's coming in July but she's pretty excited for the whole thing she was here for about a week and a half and absolutely loved it so
0: yeah that makes it that makes it much nicer um I I know we've I've got buddies that you know they their uh, wife lived in Oklahoma their whole life and then uh, they moved up to Iowa so so quite a bit of change and and types of of um scenery obviously so um, it's good that she's been there and likes it in Dakota, obviously. But I, I was going to ask, you know, how young were you when you were first a head coach? Thinking maybe uh, in your high 20s or 30s. But if you're 26, 27 right now, it must have meant you were what, like 24 as, as a head coach in high school?
1: I was uh, 23, actually. Wow. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Again, my, my path is a little bit different, and I don't know if I would suggest it for anybody. I think things kind of landed correctly for me, but uh, I took over the program at 23. Uh, very young, very energetic, had a lot of ideas. Um, but, yeah, I, I was pretty young for it.
0: How did that come about? Were you, I mean, were you already on staff, and they just, they, you know? No, you, you I, I had just up, got or? done.
1: To be honest, I had just got done with college, and I was looking for a teaching job. Uh, just happened to find one there, and they, were, they had a coaching position open, and then I kind of just took it over. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it was nuts. Uh, right timing, right place uh, kind of situation.
0: Well, I'm sure you, you learned a ton on the job at, at that point, I would assume. I mean, just getting right out of college and, and playing, and then all of a sudden, okay, now you're the head coach at a high school.
1: Oh, yeah, I learned so much just from the first start. Um, being a high school head coach is very difficult. Uh, people don't I, – I didn't even think about all the other factors involved with the fundraising and the parents and all the different factors that go into it. Uh, it was a lot of learning on the job, but to be, I, I, I knew I wanted to be a head coach for a really long time. Uh, I knew I, I knew I wanted to be a, a football coach, I mean. Uh, I knew for a long time. I had been preparing for – fairly well for it but you really can't truly prepare for it until it happens
0: well I, I'm kind of curious what would you tell some of these guys because honestly I get that message a lot uh, on Twitter and I say a lot a few times but uh, they'll, they'll you know direct message me and say hey I'm a I'm a kid in either high school 18 or I'm a you know I heard from somebody as a sophomore in college I know I want to be a football coach um, right now I'm kind of biding by, my time to finish out my degree so I can get an education but I want to kind of get started with football. You know, some of these guys that aren't playing, but they love playing in high school and they want to eventually be a coach. What are, you know, because you, you jumped right out of it and got into coaching. So what are maybe some tips you would give those guys if they came and asked you that?
1: Yeah, um, for one, learn as much as you can while you have this time. Um, I was constantly researching stuff. There's so many resources out there now between X and O Labs, all the stuff on Twitter, all the people out in the podcast world. I mean, there's so many resources, so constantly be learning, um, constantly looking for uh, some experience, too. Uh, One of the things I was always doing is I was coaching camps. Pretty much since I got out of high school, I was coaching camps every summer. Uh, That was kind of my job that I would get every single summer, and that gave me a lot of hands-on experience working with players. That's a huge step. Um, And just just be willing to work for free, too. Um, That's a big thing. Uh, that, that wealth of experience is worth, worth more than any money you can get.
2: I, I think, too, you know, going into a, a situation where, I mean, you'd said that the program hadn't been very successful, it allows you to kind of come in and, and be able to, to set the tone. Whereas I know when I went and took my first head job, I was actually replacing a coach who had just gone off a playoff run. So oh. we were lo- losing some players. So, I mean, the the, the bar was already set kind of high. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the program is depleted. Smaller school, a totally different situation. But at the same time, looking back at it, you know, if I would have taken over a situation, I would have done it more like you did it. You know, go in, the, the, the bar was a little bit lower, and you'd have a chance to kind of instill your, your philosophy, and you wouldn't have people kind of second-guessing you. You're like, You know what? What we've been doing hadn't been working. Let's try something new and see if it, uh, it breathes some fresh air into the program. And obviously, you did.
1: Yeah, for sure. I couldn't imagine taking over a program that, that was that highly successful. Um, yeah, I, I got lucky. Uh, changing the culture was the biggest thing. Um, getting the kids in the weight room, getting the kids to believe in themselves, getting the kids out. Um, that was one of the biggest things I did was just getting kids to come out and play. Um, recruiting the athletes that were in the school. You know, it, it was known if you're on the football team, you know, you're, you're losing almost every game that year. Well, trying to change that mindset in them—that was the biggest change, and the whole the culture was the biggest thing that I brought to that school.
0: I was gonna say that—that seems like the toughest part. That would be the toughest part, other than maybe not having the athletes to do it, which sounds like you did have some good athletes. But um, other than if you just had no athletes, the tough part would be um, if you're at a school and playing football is not the cool thing, or it's, it's you know for five seasons they've won three games. It's obviously not what the you know not a winning program it seems like uh, that would be the tough part is getting people their whole mind shift happening where, okay, this is what a cool thing to do or whatever. This is fun to do. And you're going to go out there and you're going to win. You're not going to go get embarrassed every weekend.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, that, that convincing them, that was pretty tough, pretty difficult. Uh, luckily i had played college football. So I had some, I had that kind of name recognition coming into it. Um, and then along with that, yeah, I, I was lucky to have a couple of great athletes come through at the right time, uh, young guys that weren't ingrained in the program before, so they were able to just jump right into mine. Um, that, I mean, my two years there, I played more freshmen and sophomores than any other position group or any other class. Uh, I was playing with a lot of young guys because those were the guys that were buying
2: in. Coach, you've been at uh, – well, now it's two programs. So you play at Eastern Oregon who has a really good football tradition. Uh, you guys won. You got to be a part of that culture. And then, on, obviously, you got to go in and, and coach in that. Now you're at Dakota Wesleyan, and I know you're working for a guy, Coach Simple, who is who yeah. uh, who is at Sioux Falls. You know, he's a South Dakota kid. I'm a South Dakota kid originally, so I, I know a lot of these guys. You know, the, the whole state's about 700,000 people, so it seems like you know everybody. But uh, th- those guys have been in a super successful program as well at Sioux Falls. What are some of the attributes – that you know you experienced that you've worked for for the guys at Eastern Oregon, and then now for the guys at Wesleyan, and you know, like I said, they were at Sioux Falls. What are some of the attributes you see that makes those guys winners? What makes those programs so successful?
1: Um, a few things. Uh, they really care about the players. Um, that's one of the most important thing things that I can think of. Um, they they really put a value in those players, um, and then along with that. Uh, the culture that was built at both programs um, was huge. I'm a firm believer in culture is way more important than any scheme you can run. Uh, And at both programs, we had a strong uh, culture and tradition. And to be honest, at both programs, uh, when coach camp took over at Eastern Oregon, it, it was known as a loser. And when coach simple took over at Dakota Wesleyan, they were known as not winning very much many games. And, they both flipped the cultures and the traditions and all that uh, around at their programs. And they just had a belief in themselves and a a strong, strong work ethic that kind of turned the programs around.
0: Is that something as a young coach? I mean, I know now being a a coordinator, even at at a young age, but even getting into it as a young coach that you're just trying to soak up all the time, or um, are you, you know, trying to learn everything else that it's hard to kind of soak all that stuff up as, you know, as you first started coaching? Oh, I I
1: definitely think it's hard because, you know, as a young guy, I'm I'm focused on scheme and trying to learn all the different techniques. And, you know, now as an offensive coordinator, uh, you know, I'm trying to learn quarterback play and running back play and all that kind of stuff. And I think sometimes it can get lost how important the culture is and, you know, trying to learn that part of it. But I, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of kind of looking towards my mentors and, seeing how they built it. Um, like I said, I was on a very successful team in high school, and I just, I just look at how they built their programs about always having core values and structures like that and how important it was in the fourth quarter knowing that your team's built on something.
2: Is that something you guys do kind of in, in every meeting? I know that that was something that maybe would, would slip my mind, so it was something I kind of built into my like position meeting plans was like right at the start, I wanted to make sure I talked about some aspect of, you know, our culture, our core values, something that we believe in. Is that something you guys try to do on a daily basis? Or is it something that's kind of just understood from a lot of the kids?
1: No, definitely. And again, with me being a young coach, I'm constantly learning. I felt like, especially this spring, trying to install a new offense, you know, I kind of was so focused on the scheme early on that I forgot about some of that core value stuff. And then a week went by, and I kind of looked back at it, and I was like, these guys don't even know what it's like, what, I, what my expectations of what being a Dakota Wesleyan offensive player are like. And I just changed my meeting structure completely, like you're talking about. I started every meeting talking about our core values. Um, when we watched film, I asked, are you representing our core values right here? You know, if they loafed or they took a playoff, I, I just called them out right there on it. You guys said these were our core values. You're not showing it. So I made that a big emphasis, and it was crazy to see the change in our play. Once I left the scheme part and focused now on uh, the core values in our culture, all of a sudden our guys started buying into that completely, and you started seeing those core values on film uh, daily.
0: I always think that's that's the tough part, and I've never had to do it, but I've had a lot of coaches come in and do it. Is is coming into a new program where they are already you know, they've been engrossed in it. They have kind of know what the program's about. Now a bunch of new coaches come in and start saying, hey, this is the uh, whatever. When I was at Houston, this is the Houston Cougar way. We're going to do this, this, and this. And, and, you know, as a player, you're sitting there like, you don't know the Houston Cougar way. Yeah, I've been here three years. You just got here. So I've always thought as a coach that would be really difficult to come in and try to change that mindset. Is that something that when you came in, you were, you were really – um you know, really thinking about as far as how do I get these kids? Because you know, I've read Urban Meyer and and um uh, Tom Herman came in, and they had their ways to go about it. But it was like they knew they were going to lose a couple, but they wanted to get all those guys that were on the fringe, some of those older guys, to buy into them because those younger guys will end up looking up to those guys as well.
1: Um, yeah, you know, coming in as a new guy, it, it there is a little bit of that change. Our entire offensive staff is actually brand new this year, so it's kind of nice. We kind of came in and kind of – we didn't take it over, but we embraced the change. And the players embraced the change, change offensively too. Um, and they really bought into it. Something I did, because, you know, I, I work with the offensive line uh, directly, is we made the core values together. It was something – we sat down – it was probably an hour-long meeting one night. And we sat down and kind of talked about really what it was like to be a Dakota Wesleyan football player – And actually, the funny thing is that was actually inspired after after listening to this podcast, the last question you guys ask all the time about what what does something show up on film that you really appreciate from O-line or that you know that they're coached the right way. Well, that caught me thinking like, okay, well, what do I want to see on film? So I kind of asked that to those guys, and we made our core values based off
0: that.
2: Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go, Harp. <laughs> that's
0: right. I, I was just being selfish, trying to trying to figure out what other people thought, but th- I'm well, glad that know, came out.
1: I, I listen to this podcast all the time. Every time you guys put one up and that's the question that uh, it's my favorite question. Uh, any podcast I've ever listened to, because it really gets me thinking like, okay, when they're watching the Dakota Wesleyan offensive line or offense in general, what are people thinking? You know, these are what we want them to be thinking. So,
0: I love that. And, and, you know, I kind of do that a little bit with my guys as far as, but I've never gone and and deconstructed it necessarily as much as you have. And so I really like that. And, and, you know, being able to tell them this is what people are, what we want everyone to see on film. You know, what do you guys want to be known for? And so um, I'm glad that 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 can help a few people. But, um, you know, the also the cool part is we've had however many offensive line coaches on here, and we've had, you know, similar answers, but a lot of different answers. So definitely no wrong or right answer. So it's cool to be able to talk to your guys and say, what do you guys, what do we want to be known for? Because not everyone has the exact same answer.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think that having the players' input made it what it was. Um, our core values, having them come up with a lot of the, the ideas of what they wanted to represent. Because now I have guys, we're in film meetings, and if we see a guy do something that doesn't represent our line, the rest of the offensive line takes it personal. Like, hey, that's not who we are. we got to fix this. So they, they have a lot of buy into it now.
2: Harper, I did the same thing when I was actually at BA. I took all the offensive guys in there and, and did kind of the same thing. Like, how do you guys want to look as an offense? What do you guys want to be? What do you guys want to be known for? And those, it's amazing what, what kind of stuff the kids come up with on their own. And maybe you, you can prod a little bit or, or hey, hey, think about maybe something like this. But those kids come up with some unbelievable things, and then I just had them all sign the whiteboard, and they're done, and I took a picture of it. I'm like, all right, you guys all signed the contract. Now you guys are all in. And I could always go back to that later on. It's like, you know, Coach has been saying many times, hey, man, remember you signed the contract. You said you were going to be accountable. You said you are going to be here every single day. Well, you missed yesterday, you know. So, I mean, it, it made it a, a lot easier to be able to go back. It's like, hey, man, it's not my rules. These are the rules you guys came up with. So I didn't have to be the bad guy all the time. You know, I was still the bad guy, but not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah, no, that's, I, I love that. And I, I think that's something that we'll start having to, to do at Broken Arrow. Now we've got our standards on the offensive line, but it's always kind of been imposed by me. And we've got really good buy-in. But be nice kind of shoot it to them, anything you want to add, anything you want to change, you know, because then, like you said, it truly is. They're bought in and they're holding each other um, accountable for that standard.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's helped us a lot.
0: Well, Coach, I'm kind of curious, you know, how have as being an offensive line guy, then an offensive line coach, now a coordinator, how much has that, you think, helped you as a coordinator? Because uh, I know there's a lot of stuff on Twitter about you got to be an offensive line coach to be a coordinator, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think it helps, especially your offensive line coach. You know, I've got to, um, you know, work with, Brady, who was an offensive line coach, I've, I've worked with Coach Wilkinson, who's our offensive coordinator now, and he didn't coach O-line, but he's made it a, a huge end point in his life to learn, every, you know, everything there is to know. He's going to clinics and stuff to listen to offensive line, and so it really benefits your offensive line coach. But how much has that helped you being an offensive coordinator?
1: Um, like you said, I don't think you need to be an offensive line coach to, or have an offensive line background to be an offense coordinator, but I definitely think it helps. Um, I think it's one of the aspects that's most overlooked uh, by some, some other coaches. Uh, it's, I, I love offensive line play. Like, I can't get enough of it, but some guys, it's, yeah, just do this protection, do it this way. Uh, you got to understand the protections. Uh, they all go together. You got to understand the blocking schemes. You got to understand the, what we're doing up front and what it takes to be an offensive lineman, what it means. Um, one of the things that Eastern Oregon, our offense coordinator, uh, coach Pow Pow, he, he was great about always, he was a very in-depth offensive line guy. Um, he knew offensive line play to a T he had been a tight ends coach before. So he had that background and as an offensive lineman playing for him, I always appreciated that he would, he could break down offensive line film better than anyone I've ever been around. Um, and he was a quarterback coach and he had played quarterback. So he, he kind of, took some pride in it, and I thought that was huge. I I think you need to have a focus on that offensive line up front. That's where it all starts.
0: When you were were just the offensive line coach, you didn't necessarily have as much to do as you do now, also being the coordinator. What were um, some cut-ups? How did you guys watch film of other teams? Because that's my big off-season goal is find the most beneficial and less time-consuming way to watch another defense but not watch too much of them. Because I, I still really believe that, you know, it, people just watch way too much defensive film. Their offensive line watches too much defensive film, you know. There's a good amount. There's maybe a good amount of blitzes you want to see. But I think that just, well, at least when I played, there was just way too much of it watched and probably not enough of watching yourself. So how do you kind of balance that or how did you kind of balance that?
1: So you're talking about breaking down an opponent?
0: No, just, just the offensive, you know, it's, it's Monday and you're wanting, to show the de- you're wanting to show your offensive line, okay, this is whoever's defense. You know, we would watch, it seems like, game after game and, and all different kinds of cut-ups and I just didn't find that really beneficial. So how much, I guess the better question is, how much defensive film from the team you're about to play do you show your offensive line? Or do you just um, show them cut-ups and what cut-ups do you show them?
1: Well, the way I do it is I kind of break down the opponent. I kind of have their top uh, game stunts, and then I have their base fronts that they're going to give us, and then their main uh, blitzes and pressures that they they send and when they send it. Um, And I I give our players, they have the full breakdown, um, so they can can watch it on their own as much as they want. But as far as meetings go, I, I basically go over the main things they need to know um, and I don't try to overload them. That's one of the things I learned big this last season at uh, Eastern Oregon. I, I do think that I did overload them sometimes. Like you're talking about watching too many things. When you're, fo- when you're thinking about all the different things that a team could do or all the different things that a team has shown, okay, now you're not playing fast and reacting. Um, so I definitely agree with you. It's, it's got to be a limit. You can't show your guys every single thing. You can't talk about every single thing a defense can do. Um, and that's something that I, I learned big this last season. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like to give their base front, their their main pressures, their main third down looks, and then any uh, stunts and games they play.
2: I always like to make, you know, <clears throat> just a short cut-up, and it was always something that, that Denver used when I was at Tulsa and and literally lasted 20 minutes. I think he'd be able to go through that. Hey, easy tips and reminders, you know, what, what he called hooty-hoos, you know certain fronts that they might give that, that give away when the blitz is coming. So our guys would kind of make that call. But I, the, kid, the kids always said, man, I always felt like I was well-prepared. It was nice and short. It was concise. You didn't throw a, a lot of stuff on there. And they could always go back and watch it, and it didn't take up a, a whole ton of time. But it hit on the main keys, like you said, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's – uh, I had probably like a 10-minute reel that we would watch – um, on Fridays before games, the night before games, just like a quick refresher, like, hey, this is their base stuff. Be prepared for it. So, like you said, very quick.
0: That's always been the balance to me, and I've had some coaches that were really good at it, and some coaches that, um, to me, didn't, wasn't as successful, because, uh, you know, there'd be some years that we would be ready for every stunt and every uh, blitz on different plays, but to me, you don't you don't block as well when they are in their base stuff. You know, when are you going to see this slant and blitz? Maybe twice in the game. So we're preparing all week for this slant and this blitz for twice a game when we really, in my opinion, should have been preparing for the other 67 snaps that we were going to get. Let's get really good at those. Yeah, they might beat us on two of them if they get it right. But um, even there, you're you're at a one-yard loss or you get back to the line of scrimmage. And then I had some other coaches that were that way. They were like – hey, they're going to beat us twice, maybe three times, but we're going to get ready for what we're the majority we're going to see. Now, if there's something they bring eight, nine times, we will work that, but we're not going to work every single thing they do because uh, percentages, we just we won't block their, their base as well if we're doing these extra things to stop this one slant, this one blitz.
1: For sure. Unless the, the only time that I if – they're, if they're doing something that limited – the only time I'll bring it up is if they've shown it specifically on a certain down distance or against a certain look. That's about the only time that I'll specifically bring up something like that.
2: Harp, I was going to tell you another thing I, I try to do and, and coach, I don't know if, if you did the same thing, but during that reel that we would show um, on, you know, it'd either be Friday night or Saturday morning before the game. Um, I always tried to show plays. So they're they're running the, the the field zone or they're running the boundary zone blitz, whatever it might be. I always tried to show plays where they were getting gashed. Oh, yeah. I think it, I think it showed our guys confidence. It's like, hey man, this defense this defense we can hand it to these guys. I always just thought it, it tried to build a little bit of confidence rather than you know, all of a sudden you're showing this blitz reel, you know, and it's Alabama hitting your quarterback, you know, left yeah, and right and lot, like. So, I mean, trying to, trying to get it to where it, it just built a little more confidence in those guys and you kind of be sitting there, it's like, hey, man, you see, they'll get out of gap and, and watch how much this long stick will get moved, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we can gash these guys. I always just thought just having that, that mindset and then thinking about even if, you know, it wasn't talked about or said, I just thought those guys felt confident coming out of it like, yeah, we got these guys. We can block these guys. It didn't matter if it was Oklahoma or Tulane, you know. Oh, for sure.
0: I I do like that and and that'll be a good one cuz that that's what I'm trying to do walls I'm trying to be concise as possible show them what they need to be showed, but not not overload it with that and let's just get perfect with our technique um I'll tell you the and and so that's where I don't even hardly do it anymore so I don't know if that's going to get me in trouble but I <laughs> hated the most in college was um the scouting report they never made any sense
2: to me oh, I dude. don't know why
0: they I yeah, yeah. I don't know how many t- how many trees colleges have have killed telling me that this kid's name is Steve, and he's six foot two, two eighty five. But I don't know why I need to know that, especially if we're gonna watch film on him. You know, it, I just never made sense to me. And, and gave him a bio, <laughs> gave a bio about him and where his hometown was. I was like, well, what What are we looking at? Like, how much time are we wasting seeing that this guy's from Boise, Idaho, and and that is he played as a sophomore against uh, whoever SMU. Like, sweet. What, what does that help me with? And then you know, then they'd have questions about it that you have to answer on your pre Uh, pre-game tests and it was just stupid to me so I don't do those anymore and I always thought I always and I thought this as I got older um, even in college still I was like I think the college the the coaches are just doing this to make themselves feel better because no one's getting anything out of this
2: (laughs) I I'll you right now I the ones I had to make as a GA it was just because you know certain coaches were like this is how it's done seriously and I had to ask (laughs) I'm not, I'm not kidding. That was, like, the, the answer I got back. It's like, well, you know, this is what we did over at, at so-and-so. Like, okay, cool. So, I guess I'm just going to pick out mug shots of these guys and yeah. <laughs> say how big they are, where they went to school. I mean, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I never understood what that – I mean, what that did because it was never even about, like, okay, they're in this personnel, then they're going to be in these formation, in, in these fronts or anything like that. It was just – a picture of them in their in their uh, suit or whatever it was, and talking about them. And I always thought that was a waste of time. So, yeah, that's something that I I've tried to stay away from. You know, especially because you get to watch film on them. So who cares? I don't know. It, it was always stupid to me, and so I I try not to do that. And and I also get it. I mean, I think that uh, we still print them off just for the sake of printing them off. I don't, as an <laughs> offensive line coach, I don't really give it to anybody just because I remember taking it and throwing it away or keeping it in a binder, but, um, I've always just thought that was, you know, it's funny, one of those football things that people keep doing them. And, and it's not something though that I do anymore because I just don't know how much people look at it.
1: Yeah. I transitioned to, a if I do stuff like that, it's always on huddle now. It's a presentation on huddle, um, yeah. and they can click on it and it can show clips and all that kind of stuff so yeah, I kind of away from the whole killing the trees.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and then if, you know, if a kid does want to do that he can click on it he can look at as long as he wants if there's another kid who's you know been playing 50 some games he doesn't have to spend as much time on it. it doesn't doesn't mean everybody has to go through the same exact scouting report totally agree with you for sure
0: and that was the other thing kind of with me for tests as well you know i had a i had an offensive line coach that wanted us to get real in depth with these with these tests and have them in by thursday and i kind of got sloppy through them and And he wanted to know what's their first move and their second move and their third move. And I kind of got sloppy with all that stuff too. And he was like, look, this backup's doing a lot better than you are at this test. And I was like, coach, I don't want to know what their first, second, and third move is. I'll kind of see what they do the most of the time. But the minute I start thinking about what their first move is, they're going to hit me with their, their counter off of it. And I'm going to be screwed. So why don't I just go out there, play like I'm supposed to play, like use the technique you told me works for everything and we'll be okay. You know, that's the way I always thought of it. Now, I do think it's probably good for most people to know what's their first, second move, and, and kind, of a, <laughs> kind of have an overview of, of the style of defensive player. I think that's more important. Hey, is this a power guy? Or is this a speed guy? Now, There's obviously, about
1: those uh, tests. I've had a lot of times where the guy that can't stop any of those moves knows what every move is, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he's got the prettiest drawing on how to run zone. And I just oh, – yeah. I, I didn't use any of the little, the little you know, little square or whatever marks at the end. I just draw a guy to a guy, and I know exactly who they're going to, but I wasn't going to spend time to make it pretty. It was, like, boring. Like, yes, I still know how to block inside zone. That's all we run, coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it was always you know he was always kind of getting on to me for that but but again I, I don't know why you need to know you know speed rushers they've got speed rush moves and the power guys have some power moves and now maybe some people have different things to tip certain things but for the most part i, I wasn't ever a big fan of that either but uh you know maybe it helped other people but it wasn't for me
1: yeah i got you
2: I loved. I mean, the thing I loved about the scouting reports, though, was, was you could find, you know, some of the situational rush guys. You at least kind of know their numbers or know, hey, here, here's their their nickel package. You know, BYU, I remember when we played them in the bowl game, uh, they had Ezekiel Ansa coming off the bench. <laughs> you know, and a lot of our guys, you know, no nobody knew who he was, you know. Yeah. He was a young guy, skinny guy. And I'm like, hey, this, this is a guy who we got to worry about when he's in the – So you bring it up in the meetings and then you had, you know, a a few clips of the kid, but it's like, Hey, the guy's only played, you know, 20, 30 snaps a game. He's got eight sacks. All right. So yeah, we need to worry about this guy. So, I mean, I think there was, there was things like that, that that you could really get into, but yeah, as far as the, all the other stuff on guys, I thought to me, it was just overkill. It's like, Hey coach, tell me the guys I got to worry about. Right. You know, and then the rest of the guy, Hey, he's just a guy. Don't worry about this guy. You'll be fine use your technique but this guy okay yeah we're sliding the protection to this guy here's a guy you got to worry about
0: right that's what i was gonna say even it seems like that like if you're a good coach you get your guys prepared for that and walkthroughs and practice and all that like if we had a guy that was that's what was always funny with me they'd make such a big deal in the scouting reports and pre-practice meetings about hey number eight's the guy whatever wherever number eight goes that's what you got to remember number eight and then we'd go to practice, and everyone would be in their regular whatever it was, red jerseys, and there would be one guy in a yellow jersey, and he was number eight. And I was like, yeah, okay, well you could have you uh, saved all that 30 minutes talking about number eight. Uh, we get it. Eight's the big deal. You put them in a yellow jersey. So I, I don't know. And, and I get it. Now as a coach, I definitely get it. Um, and the other thing I'd say about the tests is I think, I think uh, you know, it's better not to do the test the day of the game because – I think that worries you as a coach more than anything. Oh,
1: yeah. I don't know how many times I've gotten a test and just been worried. <laughs> That's all it's good for is just yeah. the pain you to coach. You know? Yeah, it
0: never makes you feel good. I mean, it nope. makes you feel like, okay, they know what they're talking about, but that doesn't make you feel good. The only thing it can do is make you feel bad when they're like, they have no idea what you're doing. You're well, like, oh. then
1: you got the guys like you're talking about. They could tell me exactly how to do everything. They could explain it to a T, and they can do it at practice. But when it comes to taking a test, they can't do it worth anything. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, Coach, you know, you you, got, you talk a little bit about huddle and, and being able to use, use that for even your PowerPoints. Is that something that you've done um, the first year that you were in college? Because I think that as we keep going, and, and you know, my, my offensive line uses team attack, and I know Coach Walls does too, but it's to just a different type of, of – um, technology because kids have just grown up and I don't think it's a bad or a good thing, but kids have grown up with technology their whole life now. You know, I remember um, maybe when I was in sixth or seventh grade was the first time we like had computers readily available, uh, you know, at at school. But now, you know, kids born, my kids have, which probably not very good parenting, but my kids have iPads, you know, they get (laughs) that they watch every once in a while. That's at whatever, two and four years old. So kids are used to this technology, and so I think a big deal is to be able to uh, bring what we want them to know. Uh, be able to be humble enough to know that they don't learn as well, or maybe they don't learn as readily from from pen and paper. And so you got to use some of this technology. So, what are some ways that you're you're introducing technology to your to your uh, team uh, to teach them the game?
1: Oh, for sure, you got to use technology. You know, you got to teach to the students you have, and kids. Kids nowadays, they, that's how they learn. Um, I actually started using huddle presentations when I was at the high school level. Um, yep. I didn't have a lot of time, so I couldn't have these uh, meetings where I could do full installs and things like that. So I, so I started putting it on huddle, and I learned that they, they'll go on huddle all the time and look at things on there rather than sit there and listen to me talk on a board. Um, they loved it. Uh, they started loving it, so I started incorporating that. Then when I got to the college level, I continued to do the same thing. Um, I use as much technology as I can. I try to make as many presentations with it. Um, you know, I use all that kind of stuff. I, I use Twitter, man. Uh, I'll find there's so many good resources. Like I was talking about uh lineman lunch. They'll post uh, coach Jones down from Texas Southern. They'll okay. post a video of a guy using a perfect snatch and trap technique. Well, I'll, I'll tweet it out and I'll tag some of my guys in it that I know they love it. And that, they, they embrace it too now. They'll, they'll start sending me tweets, and they'll start talking about what they saw Lee Charles Bentley did this week or anything like that. And it's gotten to a point where they're using technology just right along with me, and uh, it's been pretty awesome. Um, I make clips for them on there all the time, and I, I just send them out. Like right now during the offseason, I'll just send out 10 clips a week, and they feel free to watch it, ask me questions on it, show them different drill work. Uh, there's just so much out there right now. It's really a great time. If you love the game of football and you're a player trying to get better, there's so many resources out there. Um, I, I wish I had some of the stuff they have right now. So
0: well, There's no doubt. And I think, uh, you know, maybe it is because I am young and, and close to their age, but I, I think that kids and the kids nowadays thing, I think they get a bad rap. I think um, I don't know of almost any offensive lineman when I was going through high school as dedicated as, some of these offensive linemen are right now in high school as far as like you said they're on twitter they're learning they're going to individual trainers and doing stuff you know to get better at offensive line I don't think they're lazy by any means I think maybe they do things differently but I think they're working harder than anyone I saw in high school you know that obviously they get more around them but they're the ones doing it they're going to you know I had an offensive lineman last year that he was going to workouts in the off season then he was going to his own workouts and then he was going to an offensive line trainer as well because he wanted to be good and and you know he ended up being a really good high school offensive lineman now he's going to go be a uh, small division 1 offensive lineman so it's cool i think they get a bad rap and again maybe it's cuz i'm young but i think they get a bad rap i think they really do work hard and i think that um you know some some adults uh try to put the rap on them when really it's it's a lot of a lot of times in my opinion the adults that just aren't holding them to a high enough standard they say oh they you know they're just lazy they're this this and this and you, then you look at their meetings or their practices or them in the classroom and you say well you're just not holding them up to the standard that they should be at They they would reach it you're you're the one not doing your job
1: exactly uh I don't think kids are lazy nowadays. I don't think they're soft. And that's what you, you hear talked about all the time is how soft kids are nowadays or how lazy they are. That That's just not true. They're just different. Um, they're putting in work. It just might not look the same as the way that older generations used to do it, you know. But when I was playing, it was, I hear, heard it all the time. Oh, these guys don't work as hard as we did back in the day and all that kind of stuff. It, I think that's just what you hear every generation, you know, it is
0: part of it. How about you, Walls? Have you heard that in the past 60 years? <laughs> uh,
2: yes. I, I, I just think it's hilarious because I, I see these kids when you, uh, when you build a relationship with a kid, you set a standard for a kid, and what you're teaching the kid makes sense to him. And what you're teaching the kid gets him better. I've seen every single kid respond, and that kid will work his butt off to get it done. Because why? At the end of the day, what do kids want? Kids want to be good. You know, I can't, I can't think of any kid that I've ever coached any, any one of them where he would raise his hand and say, coach walls, I really want to suck. You know, I want to be really bad. I don't, I don't want to be a good football player. You know, there may be some guys, yes, they don't work very hard, but those are the guys. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to pull it out of them. Once you build that relationship with them, you know, It, it doesn't just naturally happen. Right? I, I didn't fall out of the womb and all of a sudden, hey, I, I know how to work hard. Hey, I know how to go be a great football player. That's my job as a coach to show them that. And it's my job to hold them to that standard. And as long as what I'm doing makes sense, it's safe, and kids can understand it, they'll do it. But if your methods don't hit one of those areas, you're probably going to have problems, right?
1: Oh, for sure. You know, you got to build that trust with them first, and then they'll go through a brick wall for you. You know, once you build that trust for them, um, and and like you said, hold them to those expectations. Um, And it's got to be you're holding everyone to the same exact expectations. Yes. I I got a guy, you know, we we do goals all the time, you know, and when someone puts a goal as being an All-American or All-Conference player, I I keep that piece of paper. And then when I see them not acting like that or not putting in the work, I asked them, you told me this was your goal. Is this going to get you there? Is what you're doing right now actually going to help you accomplish this goal? And then it becomes more about them trying to accomplish their individual goal or their team goal than me harping on them and me getting on them about something.
2: Yeah. Again, okay, so hey, I'm, I didn't say it. You said it.
1: That's exactly. you
2: know, your, your goal, man. I, I don't, I'm I, trying
1: to help you achieve your yeah. goal. You know? I'm not mad <laughs> yeah. at you. I'm just trying to help you.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not my goal. You know, I, I would hope you have that goal. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be you trying to, to hit that goal. And I, I love the way you put it, you know, put it right back on the kid. And i tell you right now, when it's something that they said, there's no way they can hide, you know.
0: Exactly. Well, I'm kind of curious, Coach, because one of the one of the, my favorite parts about coaching offensive line is I get to deal with offensive line kids and not have to deal with skill kids. Uh, come on. I, yeah, I know it's shocking, um, and, and they shouldn't be different, but I'm just telling you, every offensive lineman is just a little bit different than, than most skilled kids. So, um, now you were with the offensive line. You get to hang out with the coolest group in the uh, on the yeah. team, and now you've got to kind of deal with um, the things that come along with some some skill positions and some skill players and, and meshing with that as well. Has that, been a, has that been much of a change for you, or has that kind of rolled in? a little bit easier than you thought?
1: Um, Well, it's actually a a lot easier than I thought. Um, Part of it is because I was a head coach, so I had to deal with not only skill guys on the offense sides, but the defensive players as well and all that. (laughs) I I had some experience going into it. Um, The other thing is the the skill guys over at Dakota Wesleyan, they're they're tough kids, you know. They're some of our toughest guys. I got a few receivers out here that they take so much pride in their blocking. It's unreal. They'll be 20 yards downfield uh, making blocks. Um, and so I haven't had any of that diva-ish issues, you know, uh, <laughs> but I definitely know what you're talking about. Uh, so I, I've been pretty fortunate here so far where we haven't had any of those issues.
0: That was I heard- something I always thought Walls did really well, or at least you made a big deal about it, Walls, and meetings and different things was, was showing everyone wide receivers blocking downfield. You know, and so that was something that leaked into my room, either showing receivers blocking downfield or running backs, you know, running through I don't know whatever tough or, or blocking for a quarterback on pass pro. But I always thought you did a really good job of that and emphasizing that uh, a team that the receivers blocked hard and physical made their whole team more physical, which is not something you hear very often, I don't think.
2: Well, I, I always didn't want – I mean, Coach Ensley said it, you know, offensive line is all – they're already lovable. You know, they're already, they're already basically volunteers. You know, they're doing all the dirty work that nobody praises. And, all, you know, they, they, they get that, but, but coaches all love them. You know what I'm saying? Well, sure. I, I, didn't, I didn't want the offensive line to hate the guys that were playing out what? That was my whole thing. I mean, I just, because to me, it creates an instant division. So I wanted to show the offensive line. I'm like, hey, man, we're, we're getting guys that are going to block for you. And they're going to do some nasty and dirty work right there with you. And I think once, it, not to say like, but at least tolerate or respect each other. And I would do the same thing with, you know, when I had the skill kids, I would show them the offensive line. I'm like, hey, do you think these guys love blocking and playing for you? And I'd show them double team a guy and dump him. And those guys would be getting fired. Like, oh, man, we're killing people. But when they'd see that mutual respect and that mutual job between each other, to me it was just – it was, it just made sense. You talk about culture. I mean, why create an instant division by calling a kid you a prima right? donna? Yeah. You know, why create, why create an instant division by saying, you know, Oh, this guy, this guy is just one of those soft wide receiver types. You know, you're speaking the language of division. You know, it's not my job. I can think that, you know, <laughs> but my job as, as the head coach or my job as the, the head coach of the offense at that time was to bring everybody together. And that's what coach Enley's he's, that's going to be his job. He's doing the same thing. And he's already pointing out guys that that are tough. And the last thing I'll say, Harper, is if you're a receiver in South Dakota, I guarantee the offense you played in ran the ball more than you (laughs) threw the ball. So those guys are used to block. And that was my offense in high school. So that was the only way you were going to get on the field. So a lot of those guys have it ingrained.
1: For sure. You know, and, you know, we had a scrimmage here pretty early in spring ball. And there's three clips of guys, receivers, just 20, 30 yards downfield blocking guys. And I, I made it a point, like the whole O line walked into their meetings the next day when we were watching film, and we, and I kind of told them in front of everybody, like that's what it means to be a receiver here. You got to block first and mo- foremost. That's going to be your number one job. Um, and I congratulated them on that. And then when we went and watched film, I, I I slow played it. Those three clips were probably the clips we watched most. That's what we spent the most time on. Is I was telling my O line, look at what you have here. You got receivers just going as hard as they can, knowing they're not getting the ball and just making plays for you guys. So we kind of took a, the mantra of O-line gets the first 10 yards. Anything after that is from the receivers. So nope. we really love that mantra here. And uh, you, like you're saying, our guys embraced it. And it, it's not receivers versus O-linemen. It's, it's everyone working together trying to get the, accomplish our goals. Absolutely, man.
0: Yeah, it's a big deal, and so you know that's that's what I say, Walls. It was it was cool seeing you do that, and I think um, uh, obviously a big deal. And like you said, Coach Insley, it's a big deal to your guys too, seeing that that's what you guys are known for, and and even more than that, even a little bit more football wise, you know, you get guys running after after running backs or whatever, and you pick up a few loose balls that that maybe don't go your way, and with such a such a small margin. In football, you know, one little coughed-up fumble that, uh, you know, receiver offensive lineman picks up could be the difference in a game. And honestly, uh, especially at that level or big-time high school level, it could be the difference in you keeping a job and you not keeping a job. One fumble. For sure.
1: For sure. You never know when it's the play. You never know when your extra hustle is going to pay off.
0: Just all all goes-
2: security is job security. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what Michigan State said, right? Yours and mine. That was you're, that's yeah. still probably my favorite quote. That yeah, was the Yeah,
2: yours and mine. You you won't play very much if you don't take care of the ball, and I'm not gonna have a job for very long if you keep losing the ball. <laughs> you keep fumbling it.
0: Well, that's what uh you know to me is, is the craziest part. And coach, I'm sure you're getting through it and and as a young guy and and a uh I'm sure a a new marriage-ish, at least compared to some of the older guys is is knowing that. Uh, especially at that level, it, it could be, and you've already gone through it, it sounds like, but one year and you're gone. Or either, you know, you've maybe you've taken a better job or you, your whole staff gets fired, nothing you can do about it. So, uh, obviously, that added little bit of pressure of, um, you know, make sure I've got another – I'm getting paid again next year.
1: Oh, for sure, you know. It, it, that's, that's one of the biggest differences, you know, when I left the college or the high school uh, game – I knew what I was getting in for. Uh, I, I knew that your job's on the line. It's not just – you're not just a coach on the side. You know, when I was a high school coach, that wasn't my job. My job was being a teacher. Now mm-hmm. now my job is based on our performance for sure.
2: Coach, what's it like, you know, at, at some of these smaller schools? Uh, I was at Augustana where we only had, I think, six or seven guys on staff. Uh, being at Dakota Wesleyan, having to wear a bunch of hats, you know, and I, I was um, – to me, dude, I, I loved the small college experience just because I, I got to learn so much, uh, not only just football-wise and game planning-wise, but just program-wise, you know, how does the school operate, you know, doing equipment and orders and all those things. To me, it was an invaluable experience, you know, beyond just what's going on on the field.
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, so, we only got six guys on our staff right now, and mm-hmm. two of them are GAs, you know? Um, yeah. And that's what it is at the small college level. Uh, you guys, we all have to pitch in and work together really well as a staff. Uh, we all got to get – there's stuff that's got to get done everywhere. We don't have equipment guys that come in and do it for us. We do it as a staff. We don't have guys to paint the field. We don't have guys to set up everything, you know. So we have to do all that as, as a group, you know. And it, you're like you're talking about, it's invaluable. You know, coaching at the small level – you know, I love it personally. Uh, there's a lot of, like you're saying, there's a lot of benefits to it. You're learning a lot, uh, on the job, obviously. And it, it, it is tough at times, you know, it gets, it gets grueling, but you know, as long as you got the right mindset, you make it work.
2: I just, I just remember having to, having to drive the lifts cause you know, you'd have to, to fill an end zone at the oh, games yeah. and, I'd, and I always have to drive the lifts. So they'd have those, those huge forklifts or whatever, and you'd have to drive those. Well, it snows in South Dakota a lot, yep. so when it would snow, those things are like one-wheel drive. <laughs> I'd be out there for like three or four hours trying to move that thing. Oh, my gosh. There were some of the, the craziest stories you have to do. So maybe part of the day you're moving a lift, and then you come back in, and they're like, hey, Coach Walls, we got an order of uh, hooded sweatshirts and you got to go organize in the equipment room." You're like, all right, let's do it, man.
1: Yep, on to the
2: next task, right? <laughs> and you yeah, talk about digital. painting the fi- – Painting the fields, I had to paint the fields too, man.
1: Yep. So, you, you <laughs> learn a lot, though. You learn a lot about how the football team runs, and you get a lot of experience for sure.
0: Well, then, it's, you know, I'm sure it's got to be tough because, you know, all the kids see ESPN and you're getting – because that was even tough at Houston, and we were a Division One school that got, I'm sure, a lot more than most people. But it's like you go in expecting that you're going to have – Unlimited shirts and, and different gloves and cool cleats. And it was like you get one thing and you don't get even <laughs> Nike socks. You got Walmart socks. And even if you tear it, a huge hole in it, for whatever reason, I've never figured it out, the, the equipment manager wants you to bring
2: back your ripped up dirty socks.
0: That was always, that was always so weird to me.
2: On uh, The honors system, Harper, you want to know you weren't lying about having a hole in your sock.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> I was always honorable. I always did have the big hole in my sock, which socks weren't that important anyways because they made you they made you tape up, oh, they yeah. made you knee brace it up. So, which I I still to this day wasn't a big fan of, but it probably saved my saved my knees a few times. So I guess it was worth it.
1: Yeah, I got guys that hate it. Uh, you know, they complain, but I I'd rather them save their ACLs personally.
2: <laughs> That's did right. You, did Did you wear them, Coach, when you played?
1: I, I didn't. We didn't have them at uh, EOU when I played. We just, uh, we didn't have them, and then I didn't spend the money buy my own. I had them at Idaho State, though. Uh, it was required over there. Um, I, I didn't have a problem with them. They're uncomfortable, but, you know, I didn't have a huge issue with them.
0: I think that was the number one question about practice was, uh, you know, helmets and shoulder pads, we're going to wear those all the time anyway, so it didn't really matter if you're full pad or shell because it's the exact same thing to an offensive lineman, but it was like, do we have to wear braces today? Oh, I <laughs> know. I, get, like, I hear that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> go, oh, we're we're going to play with
1: them in the game. You're going to wear them for every practice. So.
0: Oh, yeah, that was that was nice the answer. So then when you get older, you just you just figured out better to ask forgiveness than permission, and we just come out there without them. Oh, we didn't know.
1: <laughs> oh, I got one guy. He, he'll always take one of them off. He's like, oh, it's just broken. I, I can't fix it. And it's like, okay, it's been all spring ball. It doesn't just break right as you get out to practice.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, well, Coach, we're coming up on an hour, and as you said, you kind of know the final question. So Boy. what are some things that you see when you're looking at another offensive line that makes you think highly of their coach?
1: Yeah, uh, guys working on the same page. Uh, Russ Grimm has a good quote. I, I want a nickel, not five pennies. Uh, and yep. I really like that quote. You know, it's uh, – so when I watch an offensive line, I want to make sure they're all going. Whatever call they made, it might have been the wrong call. And I tell my guys this. I don't care if it's the wrong call. As long as you five are doing the, the same thing on the same page, something good's going to happen. So that, That's one of the biggest things. Like, I don't want to see guys lost and just looking around for who they should be going to. I want to see them playing fast. And then, obviously, finish. Like, having a nasty finish. Uh, watch a guy like Quinn Nelson. Like, that, nothing's better than watching his film. Uh, so, those, those are the two main things that I look for when I watch another team's film for offensive line play.
2: I think, like, for me, Quentin Nelson's film should be just, like, an indicator of, of somebody. So, you, like, show them five clips, and if people don't get excited, you just say, leave. I don't want to be around you.
1: Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm the biggest Quentin Nelson fan. So I'm right there with you.
0: Well, that's like – I got lucky enough to get film of uh, – I can't remember his name. He's a senior now at Texas, plays offensive line. Um, but he played at Ulyss Trinity, and I had uh, his senior highlights at Euless Trinity. Va- was he- it Vahey? Yeah, yeah, Patrick Vahey. And he okay. just murdered people. It was oh, yeah. unbelievable in high school. It was It was literally – he was on the ground or they were on the ground. I think every single play one game I watched, he was just – Uh, a murderer and it was awesome to watch it was real football and it was fun and and you were sitting there looking at yourself saying that offensive line coach is getting those guys rolling but (laughs) but what what you said what I want to bring up and I haven't I've never talked about on here I don't think but it's something that I actually say quite a bit and so I'm glad you said it too coach is that who cares if if you're if you make the wrong call at least if you're all going with the same call normally everyone's going to get picked up anyways Yes, as long exactly. as you're all doing a whatever, then you're all on the same page. We're going to get people picked up to let the play get going. It's Where it gets screwed up is when it's like people are afraid to make the wrong call, which is what I think I run into a lot. They're afraid to make the wrong call, so instead they just don't say anything. Now no one knows what the call is, and, and they do separate calls or whatever it is. you know. So, um, not, I love that because that's something I try to stress too is who cares if it's wrong? I, I need you to make a call, and we'll roll with it. and we got to get it fixed, we will. But at least get us through that play all with the same call.
1: Yeah, and be confident in that decision. Whatever your decision is for that call, be confident with it and roll with it.
0: Well, Coach, um, we really appreciate it. I know you're, you're a busy guy, you know, with uh, coaching college football. And, and I'm sure you guys just had spring ball. So, so you're looking forward to uh, maybe getting a few minutes off uh, other than recruiting. So uh, oh, yeah. we really appreciate it. And, and we're glad that you, you took the time and talked a little bit of football with us.
1: All right. Thank you, guys. Hey, I love the podcast, by the way. It's when I'm working out, when I'm in the car driving for recruiting, it's what I have on. So thank you
0: guys for that. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss, in the next podcast simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app this will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com follow me on twitter at harper underscore coach and coach walls at coach brady walls run the power now also has its own twitter and instagram and you can find that at run the power hope you guys enjoyed this one talk to you soon